Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, okay, you you can chat if you want for a second while I listen. <laughs> Where are you well, guys? Oh, okay. sorry. <laughs> you go ahead. Oh, no, I I was, am... Yeah, so you start, Laura. <laughs> um, I'm in California. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Laura is part of my other life. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my whole other life. Laura's exactly the same. <laughs> I'm in Georgia. Not in Atlanta, but I'm in Georgia. Oh, okay. Like Savannah? <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. I'm in Smyrna. I was just like, I know you think Georgia. I was like, Atlanta, but I'm not in Atlanta. I'm in Smyrna. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. That's a good clarification because for Laurent, so like anybody who lives anywhere within like two hours of Atlanta, like if you're like, oh, where do you, where do you live? You're talking to people in California. I would just be like, oh, I'm from Atlanta. But like, I know that if I'm talking to someone from Georgia, I'm a liar if I say I'm from Atlanta. Correct. Because a friend lives right outside the city, but she's not going to claim Atlanta because she doesn't live in Atlanta. In Atlanta. Mark lives on the fringe, the very edge of the actual city. So. Yeah. I'm normally in Decatur, but I'm in Swanee at the moment, actually. Oh, you're near me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm way out in the burbs. I'm going to play this music. This is my introduction song that Jonathan engineered. This is just so we officially start. Okay. And we will reintroduce, we'll introduce ourselves. It's so okay. professional, Kate. I love it. <laughs> Great. All right, so I'm a little bit rusty. We're gonna just do our best. So this is the first episode of the third season. Season two only had one episode, resurrection season. No one else wanted to talk about the resurrection. It's fine. So this season I'm appropriately calling voices and I'm hoping that it's about lifting up any voices that have been silenced or that have been not lifted up as much as they need to. Specifically in this moment, we're definitely gonna be talking about black voices. Um, I will say the three correspondents, I'm going to be calling you since you're not guests in my physical home today, we are correspondents. You are all black <laughs> looking at you and knowing you. Um, and I'll let y'all introduce yourselves. But I want to lay down some ground rules kind of for the audience. Uh, my hope and my goal with equal cheerfulness was always for a lot of different people to listen. You know, I don't ever want somebody to listen thinking that they know what they're going to hear since this is a really heightened time of emotions. I think that there's going to be a lot of emotions that come out of this if we're lucky and we're honest with ourselves and each other and, you know, the topics that we're going to be hopefully discussing. I think there will be some emotions, but I wanted to say that um, if you're listening, if you're an audience member, that you really listen before you make these judgments or, you know, if you're coming in with a really different experience than the people, the correspondents we have on the show today or the podcast today, that you just take a minute to really hear what they're saying instead of jumping on and get, you know, on the defense. Um, because the whole point is that they have a different experience than you. And I think every person has a different experience. So, you know, if we get, that's my, my basic thing was just like, instead of fighting or being defensive, just absorb that experience and perspective which you can't fight. Because if Bryn is saying, this is my experience, you can't deny that. It's just to say like, I, I accept this experience. I accept that it's your perspective. I may not understand it. I may not get it, but I, I hear it. And I'm just gonna let that, that's, so that's my main message for this. It's just like, if you're listening, I just hope you just hear them. We also are probably gonna be using some sweeping generalizations. So if you, as a correspondent today, wanna be like, 
all white people are nuts, period. <laughs> you can say that. I know that you probably have met a white person in your life checking out of the grocery line who was not nuts, to your knowledge. But you're welcome, I think, in this time, in this space, to use those sweeping generalizations. And we know that your feelings are broader than that and you're deeper people than that. Um, and that goes for anything. I say that because there's a lot of conversation about all cops, all lies, all, you know, we all, we all know. So I just wanted to say like this po podcast is emotionally grounded above all. So, so I just want to give y'all a safe space to speak from the heart. So that's it. Who are y'all? What's your deal? Brynn, we have met in the podcast series before, but if you have not heard her episode, I still want to, want to do Q2. So maybe Brynn can start. Oh no, I'm just looking sure. at her face first. Okay. <laughs> what, what kind of introduction do you want? Um, I'm Brynn. Um, I know Kate from working underneath the same building for so many years. Um, <laughs> but who are you? Like, what's your deal? What are you here for? Why did you agree to do this? And then to end your chunk, we'll move on to Lauren and you tell me why you requested her as our co-correspondent. I'm going to silence my mic when I'm not talking because I'm also going to do that when I'm not talking. Honestly, I, I, I love podcasts. I, I love doing the podcast with you and I love listening to different voices. So I really appreciated it when you're like, yeah, I want to not necessarily give you guys a platform, but give you guys a space to kind of speak authentically, kind of get together and hear maybe different perspectives and for you to learn something. And then also for any of your listeners to learn something, I think it's, I like to think that everybody um, tries their hardest to surround themselves with people that are different from them, but maybe they don't have access to people who are different from them. So I think this is a good, at least maybe stepping stone to say, hmm, okay, let me listen before, I don't know, I just ask the wrong questions or, this is just kind of a gateway. It's a gateway to open yourself up to the discussion and listen, like you said, before you react. So I think the listening aspect is really important. As far as uh, wanting Laron to kind of jump on, I'm just all about pro-Black women all the time. So I was like, hmm, who else that we both have a mutual, I, I say mutual friend, we're not friends yet, but I, I'm, I'm connected in spirit with you already. But I, I welcome that because I'm all about lifting female voices, but specifically Black female voices too. So wanted to hear what you had to say too. Thank you for that fabulous introduction. <laughs> um, so my name is Laron and I'm, I live in California, specifically the Bay Area, um, specifically Hayward area. Um, I know Kate from um, retail. <laughs> so um, retail in California. So yes. And I'm here today because, you know, I, I, I'm not the type of person to go out there and protest. It's just not me. Just doesn't really work with my spirit, you know. And um, I, I also feel like when people's feet are tired, per se, and when people are no longer angry, there's still going to be work to do. And that has been my key focus, getting, you know, really focused on what things can I do in the corporate world? Where can I, you know, speak up and say something in that space? Or, um, you know, I've been kind of working on some financial personal goals and then doing these type of video things with other people who are like-minded and getting financially stable. And that group started with six people two weeks ago. And my call last week was 22 people. And, you know, how do we talk about black wealth and financial stability in the black world? And 
So my fight is is in that space, you know, and I'm being just as ruthless as people are being as they march down these streets. So I'm just using different, I'm just in a different arena, if you will, you know. This is me in another, you know, a new another boxing ring, if you will. <laughs> I love hearing that when Bryn did her podcast, Lauren was very quick to be like, I love this. And it made me feel very warm because you don't at all in any way remind me of one another, but in both those retail environments, I found a lot of um, acceptance of me being a kind of a wackadoodle like thinker, like really, I don't, I don't categorize myself as like emotional, but I think as a very like, I'm always like thinking complex. I'm always thinking deep. Like I always want to dig. And I felt like both of you have offered that space in life to talk about things that are really intense. Just popping down to Mark. I did want to have a black man's voice in here because I hear from a lot of women because I tend to be around women. And Mark has always been a person that I felt like um, we've said since for a long time, we've known each other, we've been fam. And part of that, I think, was because we've talked about black issues from the beginning of our friendship. And, you know, I am always curious to the way he's approaching this moment. He's been doing a lot of like inner work from what I've seen on his Instagram that connected to me with both Lauren and Brand, who are always working on yourselves, always looking inward, always saying, where is my part in this? What can I do? Lauren looking to like, where am I going to, what fight am I entering next in the most loving, warm way possible? And Mark, I just want to say like highlighting that inner work, where is, where is that taking you? Are you looking at this, this period of Black Lives Matter? Are you looking at this moment of it different than you were maybe a few years ago? Um, you don't want to talk about that right now. Right now, just tell us who you are, what's your deal, why are you here, why did you say yes? Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm Mark. Um, Kate, we met through mutual friends, but it's that kind of started with retail, actually, uh, meeting Seth Lacoste and then, like, you know, Jonathan and then you. And so, yeah, like, I don't know. It was just meant to be, I guess. I uh, was born in Trinidad. I moved to Virginia when I was 11, and uh, that's where I did went to middle school, high school, started college there, and then I've been in Atlanta since 2011, so pretty much spent the entirety of my 20s in Atlanta. And so, like, I feel, I feel close to Atlanta at this point. It does feel like home, you know, which is when you move a couple times, especially from another country. That's, uh, you know, like the question of like, who am I? You know, where do I fit in? That starts in like pretty much, you know, when you're dropped into the environment. And then I went to Catholic school. So I was in a majority white environment from a like that was like a culture shock moment coming from, you know, an island where obviously there are a lot more black people. So I think all of that experience has brought me to this point. Part of my experience in Atlanta has been working different uh, different jobs. Um, different, you know, odd jobs that some were at minimum wage, some a little bit higher. And it's just like, I think that experience has also radicalized me a bit in terms of uh, seeing people struggle, you know? And I think that, uh, I think that's just one of the many uh, issues that are being brought up in the protests. And so I've, uh, I have been hitting the streets because, you know, I feel, I feel closest there. I feel like a sense of community there. I like what I see in the protests in terms of the, who's attending the different signs the different messages that are that are being brought out there 
And a big reason why I agree to this is because I actually do podcasts. I do uh, Atlanta United Fan TV, which is uh, so it's for the soccer team, an independent thing. But, uh, you know, we talk past few weeks, you know, we've been recording and there's one, there's no sports to really talk about, but we talk about what news there is to talk about. But then at the same time, you know, it's like with the past couple recordings, we have talked about, you know, the Black Lives Matters movement because it's it's everywhere. It's like at this point, it's like nothing has been left untouched by it. And I think that's great. And so, you know, being able to talk about this at length and my feelings at length, you know, I definitely wanted to take the opportunity to. And, you know, whoever listens to this and takes something from it, I, I hope I have. I hope they get something valuable for it. But I think it is it is for me. You know what I mean? Like it's it's an opportunity for me to share my feelings. Well, you're welcome to do that. That's the that's the goal. And um that's a it's funny too, just being in this environment where it's like, of course, it's the three three ladies and Mark. <laughs> I feel like that's always kind of he's just because Mark is so a really good listener. Um, he always ends up in these environments where people just like talking around him, but I wanted to make sure he was included in the actual conversation. Well, so, he's already dropping quotes on us and nothing yeah. has been left untouched by this. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's a quote. I wrote it down. I'm not surprised either that Laurent and I are both taking notes. This is I'm not surprised. Um, so yeah, he's already dropping the, dropping the bombs. So my first question is, what the heck is going on? <laughs> and I mean big scale, like we're talking um, the pandemic, which has disproportionately affected all people of color, but if we're specifically talking black people right now, I had uh, someone else who we used to work with at Just Tools posted something about that today. And I was thinking about the ACE scores. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that, but it's the scores of childhood trauma and black people are definitely more highly affected by it. Um, and those lead to actual health issues. So things like autoimmune disorders, people with higher age scores have higher rates of all different types of health issues. So you're more likely if you catch coronavirus to die from it, uh, you're more likely to catch it. And of course, being in positions of not lower class jobs, but maybe you say that I don't, I think it depends on how you look at a job working in retail so long, I get sensitive about the word like lower class job or like not an important job. But these, uh, these jobs that actually have proven to be essential. Um, there's a lot of black people in those positions. So kind of looking at that too, like first we get the pandemic and then it's like just an onslaught of police brutality. And I don't know if that's just that they were highlighted more than normal. Um, I think George Floyd, obviously like that situation was so clearly brutal that there was no looking away from it. Um, I have people who disagree about a lot of other things, but they all were like, that's not okay, period. So even if the act, after response has been different, there's at least that moment where we all looked and were like, is this really happening? Like almost 9-11 level of like, is this real? So I guess just talking from that switch and then yesterday, I don't know, Mark, if you saw this in Swanee, but it hailed, I sent Bryn a picture, it hailed for like 10 minutes in June. So I'm just like, what is going on? Positive and negative. Maybe it's not either. What's what's up? <laughs> I don't, uh... <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think uh, like the pandemic definitely has had a huge effect, just like the unemployment that it's it's caused. And then like, but at the same time, like you see like the numbers of people that file for unemployment versus the amount that billionaires gain. And it's like hundreds, you know, it's like billions, like tens of billions or hundreds of billions, I think at this point in this short time, it's like, how are people benefiting and how is it... Uh, how is it 
this small class of people. And so, you know, I think uh, that's generally, that's definitely gen generated some of the frustration. Plus, you know, not to mention people are just out of work, you know what I mean? So it's like, I remember a few years ago uh, when I was at therapy, one of the points that my therapist brought up was that when you're in that constant cycle of working and just going to work and coming home or whatever your life is, right? And you're in that constant day to day, you never really get time to stop and think and like just evaluate where your life is going. And I think that as a society, that was happening, you know, like between people having to make rent, you know, you have like your distractions, like bars and concerts and sports and all that, like all of that stopped. And so it's like people, I think, have been forced to deal with the reality that they've known for some time, which is that like a lot of people are just vulnerable. You know, a lot of people, uh, this, the idea of the American dream, I think, for our generation really kind of just ended, you know, or at least we started looking at it very cynically because I know I did personally, I imagine. <laughs> I imagine uh, maybe you guys at one point or another felt like, what, what are we doing here? Like, what am I working towards? You know what I mean? So it's, um, I think it definitely started there, you know, and then the the killing of George Floyd is just so, it was so graphic. I haven't watched the video. I've seen stills. You know, and so it's like, that's, I think like most black people, I think we'll admit that like, we don't watch all of it or even most of it, you know, like after, I think maybe after the, there were one or two that you watched and then it was like, okay, like I kind of, you know, we get it. We know how, you know, we know how that happens. So, but uh, no, this, it definitely provoked people. I think it touched people in a way that previous situations hadn't, I don't know. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult to talk about, I guess, because Every life is important, you know what I mean? Like the fact that Breonna Taylor's killers still haven't been arrested is a classic example of this. Like as this movement is happening, it seems like a black woman's life is being swept swept under the rug. And so it's uh it's it's tough to square away like what exactly maybe that part of it, like how exactly led to all of this, but it's happening. You know, I mean, like overall, it's good, but I think it's not it's not perfect, let's say. Yeah, just to piggyback on one thing you said, Mark, was when you were saying like we were, you know, sort of forced in this moment, like everything was kind of stripped away. And we were at this moment where we were like had nothing to do but look around kind of. The other thing that was taken away was extra, like just in real life community, you know, you immediately didn't have anyone around. And a lot of us, you know, are fortunate to be able to look to social media and feel a sense of connection. But a lot of us were isolated. I imagine too, if you are the kind of person, like a lot of my students don't necessarily have access to like readily to technology, like the level of isolation that leads to and kind of what that's, you know. And so I think when it comes to the George Floyd protest, it was interesting that it wasn't like everyone got was like, Oh, I'm sick of Corona. I'm going to leave my house to protest police brutality. It was like, we had all been maybe quiet enough to realize how much unfairness and like Mark was saying, highlighting this, the, just the drastic difference between certain, some people's lives and other people's lives and realizing some of us were like scared, really scared. Um, some of us were scared for, you know, I'm scared for a lot of my kids. I don't know. I can't get in touch with them because school, you know, they had to report digitally and I didn't hear from some of my students and these are, you know, it's not like they weren't trying. It's like, they just don't have options. And that's in that's in a good community in you know suburban Atlanta. Like this is 
a community where you would think that they would have help. And it's not that the community didn't try. It's maybe we just didn't see how bad it was before. And now all this time and all this space. And then it was like, this can't keep happening this way. Just like highlighting that sense of it's crazy that the community was literally, you know, stripped apart by this pandemic. And then also the desperate, like the desperation to rally when there was a reason to really rally. And, you know, a lot of this stuff gets hidden away though. Cause there was like the mod Aubrey that happened months ago. And we don't, we are not all as awake to seeing what's going on, or maybe we don't have access to it. Another word that you used before, um, and that, I think Laurent and Bron both, Bryn, Bron, Bryn both used too, like that word access. And um, so just what you said for sure, that discrepancy though, between like these billionaires and who are getting rich, richer off of us during this, by the way. And then those of us who like literally can't go outside. Like if I go outside, I could literally die. Um, or Laurent has a small, human, beautiful child. Yeah, I mean, I'm um, to just kind of piggyback too. I feel like because we were in coronavirus, world again to your point there's this quietness that's a that's you know you have that time to sit with yourself to be with yourself and then you go to get that connection on the media social media and what you see is someone being brutally murdered so i think had we not been in coronavirus would this have spun out the way it had I, I can't say that I think it would have, to be honest, you know? I think it was people being faced with their own reality of, at the end of the day, a pandemic can happen. And I could work at the number one company, you know, i.e., like I know someone who works at Chevron and, you know, middle class, owns a house and was affected, you know? So someone like that, you know, then seeing someone die on on camera, I think everybody just had that time to see it basically. And at that moment, those walls that you would normally have up because you're going to work every day, you're in, your, you drive to work, you come home from work, da, 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 and you just almost have that shell on. I feel like coronavirus made everybody take that shell off. And then when we all seen this happen, it was like, ugh, it hit us when it normally wouldn't have. Um, so that's kind of my take on that. And just kind of in your sentiment of what is going on, you know, I always think back whenever someone's kind of talking about a big evolution, I always think back, um, I've seen this image of, and it was like in Australia or Africa or something where a flood had happened and these spiders basically evolved and learned how to basically fly in this area because they were no longer, there was no ground for them to walk on. And so it's interesting. And then even like, I think back to, um, I know some students in Stanford like found a mushroom that eats plastic. And, you know, they had been doing, doing tons of research and they're like, how long, you know, this is a new species of a mushroom, whatever it may be, again, evolution, you know? So I, I really think that when it's all said and done, this is almost like a reset for the world, you know? We got hit by coronavirus, so we're gonna, you know, attack your, you know, society and make that crumble, you know? And then all of those, all of that armor that you had around your heart and your emotions and, you know, your physical, your mental being and all of that, I'm gonna attack that too, you know? And so that all of those walls can kind of come down at once and we can just have a reset. I feel like it's, you know, and I don't know if everyone feels like this, but I know that there's a refreshingness about it all when it's kind of 
all said and done, like it's out in the open. I can finally speak my own truth and be who I am, you know? And I seen someone compare it to grief. And there's, they said that there's a collective grief happening right now because we got hit by coronavirus and now we see all of this, you know, negativity. And it's grief has a way of like, you can't run from it. It wants to sit down, wants to say, hey, how you doing? It wants to know your name. It wants to tell its story to you. And I feel like we're going through that motion right now. The beautiful thing about grief is that once you've dealt with it and you've let it have its space, it gets up and it walks away. It's gonna, this is all gonna pass. You know, it is all going to get up and it's going to walk away, but we've needed to deal with this. I feel like we've been sitting on that bench and not allowing grief to sit next to us for too many years. And finally, with all of this, we're like, you know what, have a seat and I'm gonna take it all in, you know? And so I'm just truly embracing that hurt and that pain because I really understand that healing is on the other side of that. Lauren, you are, you're getting me, man. You're, I mean, it's like, <laughs> hallelujah, you over here. Yeah, I mean, you so, so well put, honestly. I mean, what both of you guys are really touching on too, it's, it's like this, um, a season, I guess, of uncovering and not just, you know, I mean, the, the conversation right now is police brutality and we're having a lot of conversations around uh, systemic racism right now, but also look how many things this pandemic did uncover for us, whether it's the education system falling apart in two seconds when we can't have kids into the building and like, oh, just now realizing, or maybe just now admitting that there's kids that won't have meals because they no longer go to school. That's something we've known, but now we're wanting to address it. The, looking at the healthcare system, why don't nurses, why don't medical professionals have the proper equipment that they need? Just everything I just feel like has been uncovered and blown up a little bit. And you're right. I don't, I, I would say, honestly, I don't know if we were in this pandemic, if people would stop to actually pay attention to what's going on. So it does feel like um, a lot of things have been exposed. I think, yeah, collective grief is a really good way to describe it for one thing or another. It's it's weird because it's it's a it's a sense of community knowing that we're all going through it together, but we have to be honest about where we are too. You know, we have to be you have to allow it in. Like you said, you have to let it sit and kind of stay with you a little bit because we got a lot of gunk. Like there's a lot of stuff we need to address and kind of uproot, but we got to we got to open the door and have these difficult conversations. Yeah, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of mess. It's a lot of mess, but I, I am thankful for uncovering. I'm very thankful for that. That's You gotta start there. When Lauren is talking about the bench, the, I thought of the bus in Forrest Gump. Have y'all seen Forrest Gump? I would think so. But so he like goes and he's this kid who looks weird. He's not like everyone else on that bus, like clearly from the get. Um, he walks around, everyone's like, can't sit here. No, no. And then this girl, not because she's a sweet, precious angel, but because she's entirely broken inside and she's getting abused and assaulted by her dad. And she's in an environment without a mother. She's a broken person. That's why she is open enough to letting this, you know, in her case, kind of like this, this like mirror to her, sit down next to her and say, let me give you some comfort and also let me highlight how how things really are and it that's kind of how it feels like we're you know like you said maybe all the other times where we should have stood up in the whole world and the whole united states should have been like 
let's protest like and we chose not to or maybe we didn't have the go like maybe it just took a few can't sit here's before we found that brokenness in all of us to be like you know it's time to rally we can't can't keep letting them walk around the bus yeah i love that and i love that word uncovering or bren did anybody else want to add to it because i don't want to i want to i want you to keep just keep going this might this might go into a whole other discussion and i'm sure we'll get into it um i feel like we're definitely in a season of uh I keep saying season, we're in a season of this, but uh, we've definitely gone through a lot of seasons just within this first six months. I feel like there is a lot of learning and a lot of uncovering on social media, which is great, but I will say for me, I love the education, I love the resources, I love that um, some people are wanting to learn at the same time, and I said this to my mom like week one, I'm like, is this gonna be, a hot trend and then things are just going to change because it's not cool or like people have jumped off the bandwagon or we've gotten certain things uh change names change he's painted now it's okay like are we really going to be honest about it or are we going to stop right here um because it is it's just it's the steps so obviously first you have to see that there is a problem but you also have to like address the actual problem, not go around it. And I feel like now that feels like the conversation. Are we getting to the root of what's going on? Um, I don't know if y'all feel like that. Um, I've been on social media and it's a it's <laughs> it's a lot. Like you said, you can't be on, you can't continue to watch the videos and everything all the time because it is traumatizing. And we have a lot of uh, ancestral trauma, generational trauma, that's a lot. But do y'all have any fears right now just with, great, like we're having the conversation, that's awesome. But is there is there anything that y'all are afraid of? Now that the conversation is in front of us, are you afraid that maybe the conversation could get hijacked to something else? Yeah, yeah, I think that because like we've just, we've seen that happen before. Like, I mean, like we've seen like black voices get stifled or co-opted or you know uh, just overall dismissed i mean i think the fear that that'll happen again or like things will return to normal or so to speak or go back to the way they were before i think that is like an inherent fear it does seem like black people you know of all generations and <laughs> spectrums i guess or however you want to put it are tired you know, and are speaking up and being more direct. Like I'm a big sports fan and I am watching, like noticing black athletes speak up in their spaces, which tend to be dominated by like white head coaches, white general managers, white owners, you know what I mean? And so you like, especially football, I think is the best example of this sport where if you took black people out of it, there would be no football yet. Like into any position of leadership or importance seems to be held by a white man. And uh, you saw how the NFL treated Kaepernick when he kneeled. Literally, like, all he wanted to do was kneel during a national anthem. The national anthem, that hasn't been a staple in sports for very long. I think that started, like, in the 90s, you know? And then people are treating it as canon now. It's ridiculous that a song or a flag held more importance than bringing attention to Black lives that were being lost at the hands of police and sometimes not police just people just people feeling like you know they run their neighborhood or whatever you know now though you're seeing like those same well not the same nfl players but you're seeing nfl players really not taking that um and so but how, how will that translate come 
September when there's supposed to be games, when you know when it's really on the line. We just have to we just have to wait and see in the other sports as well, you know. But uh, I definitely think that's just one example. But I definitely think that black people in different industries are, you know, really looking at it and saying, look, wait a minute, I provide value here. Like you need to respect my humanity. You know, like we can't ignore this anymore. And I do think that uh, you are seeing some genuine allyship. And I, that's like, that's the key. I hope that does continue. And I hope that we, you know, we continue addressing more things like the gripes that natives have, like the gripes that Hispanics have, the women have of every culture. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's so many things that I think need to be addressed that that's why I think the movement will keep going because it's like, hold up, but what about this? But what about this? It's just, it's it's all on the table, I think, right now. So that's what gives me hope. Also to add too, I know you said just how things, it's important to keep this conversation going too until November. Let's see how things look in November as well. <laughs> like, it doesn't just end here. Yeah. Well, the other, go ahead. Go, go ahead, ahead. So you go. <laughs> okay. So I was just going to say something that I specifically, I texted to Bryn because I was really scared of posting on social media, not because I'm like scared of what people are going to think more because every time I got on my social media, like more and more over the last few weeks, I can't find any black people on my Instagram stories. I can't see a single black person on my Facebook. I mean, I follow a lot of black people and these are people I look to every day. I look for Laurent's kid all the time. I'm always like, where's that little girl? How is she living? How's Laurent's life? Like where are her words of wisdom? Where's Bryn just in general? And I'm always, you know, and Mark is always posting now these like, um, like mental health kind of check-in modes, like uh, inspiring things from other podcasts and stuff that I love. And I didn't see any of that because all these white women were posting resources, which is awesome. Except what was happening in my experience, and I'm, you know, I don't have, I don't follow like 8,000 people. So maybe it's just the specific people that I follow, but it just felt like, white women were just yelling, copying, pasting each other's posts to the point where it was just burying the black voices and not just black voices, but all the other voices other than just other white women. And I was, I mean, I'm literally like working to make sure that I'm not watching their stories, not because I don't care about their lives as well, but because right now I'm like, I need to know, I need, I need my cue from the black women that I always look to, you know, for advice in general, not just about this, but in my life, I depend on Bryn's friendship in my life, not just as like, in this moment, but especially in this moment, and not to look to her to say, like, to tell me what to do or what to post, but just to look to her as a friend and as like a, a person. Um, so it was, it was hard, because I was like, I don't want to stay silent on the internet but it feels like it's more useful for me to check in with my students. It feels like it's more useful for me to research my candidates and where I vote, you know, and it felt like it made more sense for me to text people directly than to, you know, and there were certain things I, I posted anytime I'm reading in my classes about generational poverty or anything. Um, there's a book we're reading in my middle school class right now called Lucked Up for Freedom. It's for a middle school class and I'm posting things from this book I'm reading about trauma because I think it really speaks to this moment. I just am fearful about reposting stuff that other white people have written or that other people have written, you know, copy and pasted from someone and that we're all kind of seeing the same resources. I just get worried that it's burying their real story. And like it, some of it has been sensationalized instead of focusing on the real issue. Like 
I know specifically to retail, there was one about these like code words used in retail, which something, but it wasn't specific to black people, but I think it's not the people who work there. It's the system is built to make, um, to like encourage racial profiling, whether we realize that people who work in a store or not. And that's, it scares me that we see these like headlines instead of digging deeper and saying, okay, so what is the root? Like what Brent was saying, like, where's the, where's the fungus on the root? How do we get to it? How do we kill it off? Like, so it's hard to kind of know what directions we're going in, but yeah, like if, if it's getting quieter on social media, like how can we check in that people are still doing the work and like, how are you as black people are seeing all these, you know, all these notes that people are really invested in your lives and your future and your care and your community. Like, how is it going to affect your morale when you see these things go away? Is it going to be enough to know, like, people are out there doing their best on the streets? I mean, for, for me, um, you know, the, the you guys kind of were touching on what is the root. And I actually had a conversation with a colleague about this yesterday. And um, she was like, you know, I'm 45 years old. And I'm one of those people who definitely said, you know, three years ago when people were like, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, I was definitely one of those people that said all lives matter. She's like 100 percent. And she was she was like, and now this time around, I've really taken the time to first educate myself. Second, understand what even though my intention isn't one thing, what's my impact, you know? And she was like, and I really tried to dig through and understand that piece, you know? And she's like, and you have to understand for me saying that to say I'm wrong, all lives don't matter, black lives matter. That's me saying for the last five years, I've been wrong. And she's like, think about the person who's 60 years old and they've lived in a, you know, state that's just black and white. And so their circle of people have just been white. And all these years, they, they've been the type of person that they've been. For them to say, you know what, I was wrong, that means they, there's a whole foundation under them, 60 years under them that they have to let go. That's a lot. That's a lot to ask of a person, period. And so I think for me, you know, the root of it is really just saying, let's both take the time to listen and empathy. And then second, somehow as a black person, I need to not, I need to make sure there's no guilt at the end of the day. Cause I think that's the piece that's heavy to people. You know, it's like, I don't want to walk away from this conversation in guilt. So I think I've been trying to listen and educate and allow those questions to happen because I, I was talking with someone the other day and she was saying, you know, uh, I have a black friend and we were we were both working HR. And so he had told me when he comes from the gym, if he sees a white woman around him, a police officer around him, and you know, he named off a couple of different types of people that he will unintentionally, like he'll take off his sweater so he's not wearing a hoodie or he'll take his hands out of his pocket. And she said that she was completely devastated because one, she could tell that the by the way that he talked about it, it was the first time he had ever told anybody this. And two, that's not something she would ever consider or think, or she just didn't know. A lot of, you know, a lot of times when I'm talking to people, there's this piece of, well, as a black person, I've never said, and as a white person, I didn't know. How have we allowed that gap to be there for so long? I'm, you know, I'm really taking that time to embrace these tough conversations to help close that gap. Because at the end of the day, I can't, if you didn't know, 
and I never told you, we're both at fault. And I was telling my fiance Ray the other day, like, I feel like, cause there's just a lot of things that I'm just like, oh, that was racist. I didn't know. I didn't notice, you know? And anyone that knows me, I just have a really soft heart. And sometimes it can be naive and I get it, you know, but there's a lot of things that I truly didn't absorb as being racist. And I think it was really God protecting me so that when this time came, I would have the heart and the space for it. So I think that that was a blessing in disguise for me. But I feel like as a person, have I always felt beautiful in my black skin? Hell no. You know, have I allowed myself to be treated like shit? Yeah, I have. And I told him, you know, I feel like I was content sitting in the back of the bus. I was okay with it. I was comfortable there. All my friends were back there. It's kind of like in middle school where all the cool kids sit in the back anyways. You know, I came up with all those excuses. All the cool kids sit in the back anyways. I can get off the bus last. And you, you try to make space for all the reasons of why it's okay. In this whole movement that's happened, I realized I don't want to be back there. It stinks back there. The seats are ripped back there. <laughs> Whatever it may be. And I've taken, I've stood up. And I've taken my spot and walked down that aisle and said, you know what? I deserve to be up here and I'm going to tell you why. And I feel like that's the space that I'm in right now. So when we talk about the root of the problem, I think it's as, you know, white people, there's things that you have to let go of. You have to say, you know what? I'm letting go of where I was before. And I'm saying I'm OK to start from here and go forward. I think that that piece needs to happen. And as black people, we have to be honest. I think there's a lot of code switching that's in the black community. And you know, you, okay, girl, let me get up off this phone before I walk into work. Hey, hey guys, happy Monday. You know, there's a lot of that. And it's like, be yourself. Embrace. How many times have I let someone say, oh my God, I like your hair and pet me and not say, actually, please don't touch my hair. I don't like that. You know, like there's so many things that have happened to me that I've stayed quiet about. So it's on me just as much as it's on you. And so I'm taking that time to really flush through that and understand that and embrace it and say, we're both going to grow, you know, and um, as a black person, say what you want, feel what you want to feel, be honest. I think we put our feelings on the back burner too much as a culture. And I get that it's normally to protect us. And sometimes you put yourself on the back burner to protect other people i.e. taking off your sweater. That's not protecting him. That was protecting that person's feeling. And that needs to stop because then it's on us just as much as it's on them. I think we're just like giving you a silent standing ovation. <laughs> no, that was really good. A little bit. Just coming real quick um, off of the part where you're like, we code switch so fast into this, hey girl. And then like, once you get in the story, you're like, hi. I personally just have seen that happen definitely because I worked with, you know, Laurent and Bryn, like, not that you switch so much. So I think both of you have known your space and stood confident and, but there are definitely times where, you know, it's natural, again, not because of what somebody specific is asking you, but that the standard in these retail spaces is a white standard. It is to be my natural personality, which is disgusting. And in a lot of times it led me to be incredibly incredibly mentally ill. Like when I was in California, I was incredibly suicidal towards the end of my time there because I was literally like every day this, you know, I'm actually the person I am is mentally ill and it's fine. And it's not that big of a deal. Honestly, if I just say it, it is what it is. But when I was going to that store every day, acting like it wasn't, I was shutting down an entire person inside of me and denying that person her space. 
And instead of like, when I'm in my classroom now, I'm like, y'all, Miss UG is not having a good day. We're having a hard time today. And the kids are like, we got you. Like, and it's that simple as walking in that space and telling people like, I need space today. I'm having a hard time. These are 14 and 15 year old boys who want nothing more than to like tease you and make fun of you. And they will give you the space if you ask for it. And I think something that happens in both Lauren and, and Bryn that I have seen, again, Mark, I haven't worked with you before. I just know you as like a, so I see you more in the off, off time. But I would say that something both of you have done is say, I provide value here, which is what Mark said, that direct quote, you have both done that and then also not necessarily pushed it. And I think that's that moment of protection where you're like, I'm not gonna get fired. I'm not gonna get in trouble. I'm gonna keep, I can, I can live in this white standard a little bit and like, it's not that different, it's fine. But both of you have said, I provide value here and it's only the people who are paying attention to you as people, not you know the people who saw you, I think that caught that and then were able to approach you with certain questions and sort of like what Lauren was saying, I benefited 100% off the system. Retail was my space because of it. Um, but my personality and my inner work was like two different worlds. There's a lot of like fighting these different identities we have. And like as much as it was really fun to work in both of those stores, there was also a lot of like, you didn't have to do all that. You know, like you didn't have to show up like that every day. Did we really have to do that much? When there's all these other people that if maybe if we say that's, you know, I'm not here today, I'm not going to do it today. Or maybe I'm not going to do it at all. I'm just be myself all the time. And not white standard self, like my just regular self maybe that whole system could shift, but there's not a lot of room for you to do that. Cause the second you do that, you're fired. You have an attitude problem. What's wrong with her, you know? Yeah, she's acting, she's she's acting hood, ghetto, ratchet. Like you have, there's code words for that, which is disgusting. And they're literally saying, same thing saying like he's acting like a thug, he's acting like a problem. It's just, just saying that, that line though that Mark said, like I provide value here and then not being able, not having that next safety step. It's like, if you keep pushing it, who knows what happens next? No matter, no matter how you paint it, it's not like you should quit because that is not a safe environment. You don't get to be yourself. It's like, why can't the environment change a little bit to allow me to be all the way? You know, a lot of the black girls I've worked with in retail specifically. Also in corporate. No, working oh, yeah. in corporate. Like, I mean, every black girl that I know, you we almost can fit in the same little pod because we speak in a certain terms or jargon. And you know, I almost sometimes wonder because people say, Oh, you talk white or over the phone, I thought you were gonna be a white girl, and then I seen you and you were black, and I was surprised. And it just dawned on me the other day, I was sitting thinking and it's like, as a kid, I always knew that I wanted to be successful. I knew that I didn't want to like struggle and whatever I did, I wanted to at least have some success in it. And I almost wonder if unconsciously I tied success to needing to play that role, if you will. Anybody that talks to me, I mean, I have a very colorful group of friends. I'm not, definitely not that black girl that's around only black girls, it's just not me. And like, you know, my boyfriend will make, or my fiance will make fun of me that like, you were in a neighborhood and I'm like, lock the door, you know? And he's like, Laron, these are your people. And I'm like, you know? And it's like, well, was I that way? Because somehow I, you know, weighted success with the white. You know, and did I start to make sure that I was able to at least be palatable in that environment? You know, I, I just wonder. It's again, that's why I use that analogy of like, I've been fine in the back of this bus, you know, 
It wasn't until a couple of weeks ago that I was like, you know what? No, let me stand up. You know what? No, let me walk down the aisle. You know what? I'm sitting in the front, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm just thinking about earlier what you said too, just feeling like you have to code switch or shift yourself. But really, just, I was thinking as you were talking, like how many spaces do I feel like I can authentically show up in? I, I, brainwashing feels like a heavy term, but you you do get conditioned to think that to be accepted, to be beautiful, to be successful, you need to follow this box. So yeah, I mean, if you're falling outside of that, and that includes how you wear your hair or you know what type of word you say, you're gonna try to fall in line with the standard as much as possible. And we are not the standard. We never were made to be the standard. What is even the standard really? Yeah, I'm, I'm just keep thinking about that. Like what, what spaces do I really feel like I can authentically be myself all the time? It's very difficult. You have to, palatable is a really good way to put it. Just kind of tiptoeing with every encounter that you meet. Man, I, I, I'm just thinking of a million things right now, just having to adjust. But like you said, adjusting for someone else. It's not because you, sometimes it is, sometimes you feel like, okay, let me just go ahead and, you know, edit myself a little bit because I already know how this is going to be. But sometimes it's an apprehension of, I know how this is going to go. You know, you do have to make, make other people comfortable. And that's, oh, that's so sad. It's really sad. No, I know. Like, so <laughs> to your point about like talking white, right? From a young age, and like I mentioned, I, I went to Catholic middle high school like from a young age, people told me that I was eloquent, like would you know, pointed out specifically, like you're so eloquent. And I'm like, am I really any more eloquent than these other kids? No, like I will admit, like I probably, I am fairly eloquent compared to my peers, but still to like single that out, I felt, I felt weird about it. And that's like one of those microaggressions that we deal with in that environment on a day-to-day -day basis. So like, yeah, you like you, what you were just saying, Brent, like all the situations run through your head where, yeah, you feel like you have to edit yourself or what have you, or where you subconsciously change. I, I was just, I was just going to say like even small things and I can only imagine Laurent being in a corporate space, but I'm just like, even just you and Kate, you could probably pick it back off of this too. Being in a retail environment, you you have you want to fit the aesthetic of wherever you work. But I'm sure even in a corporate environment, there is a standard and an aesthetic of how you should look. And I'm just thinking, how many conversations have I just had about, hmm, okay, what's it gonna look like if I put like last year, like I put twists in my hair, and that was a big deal for me because my hair is very short, as you can see. And I was like is this going to be a thing? Is this gonna be, not only because it's a drastic change, I understand my hair's short, it was like down to my belly button what it felt like, but is this going to be out of place in this environment? Even when- asked every single person in that store. She asked every single person, she showed me like three different versions. She was like, this picture, this picture, or this picture. And it's, uh, you know, I can't, it's one of those things too, like what my students have asked me about like the N word. I'm like, I am not to say, this is not my space. And it sounds dumb because it's, it's just hair, but it's not just hair. It has nothing to do with me, but it's hard because you are conditioned to check in and like 
if we're friends, it's different because I don't know, maybe if I listen to other people more, I would ask people if I should cut my hair. But I have again, I don't have those checkpoints. I remember that though, because I was like, I was like, is I don't know why she wants this approval. And it might be approval, but for you, it probably was some level of like, am I gonna get not am I not gonna be treated the same? Yeah, or like, is it going back to those words like for me to put in hair, is that gonna be ghetto or ratchet for me to put in fake hair, which everyone on the planet does. Like, why is that so odd? But it was just making space and saying, oh, okay, I'm taking up too much space in this environment. Let me edit down again. Like, oh, it's so, it's, ah! It's literally, it's so conditioned. It's crazy. Yeah. In terms of like the standard. So like I mentioned, I was born in Trinidad and like, I think not moving until I was 11, I did, it did shape my perspective a bit. So I do like tend to view America a little bit from outside in the standard is absolutely white, like hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like even as a black foreigner, and even in some cases, especially as a black foreigner, it's like, Mm, do I want to be like black, black? You know what I mean? Like that, that thought I think consciously or subconsciously has run through my head a lot, you know, growing up now, like I can recognize it and call BS on it. And like, I'm, you know, I'm, I have no misgivings about being black whatsoever or black culture or anything like that. But it definitely was a point in time where it's like, Ooh, like, you know, how's this going to affect my white peers? You know what I mean? So it's, uh, no, it definitely, yeah, it's it's something that takes unlearning, I think, in terms of going back to what uh, you were saying, Laurent, about letting go. I think for me, it's about unlearning. Like, this, I make this point about uh, myself and misogyny all the time, right? Because it's like misogyny is just like built in to society. And if you don't think that if you're a man, if you don't think you were taught anything misogynist, then like you're probably lying to yourself a bit, right? You just have to like really be critical of what you know or what you've been taught and unlearn it essentially. And I think like that's the same approach that people, I think allies need to have in terms of black people and black culture, because there's a lot of negative messaging about black culture. And then it's, you always see it where it gets co-opted by uh, the approved individuals. Like, I mean, the easy example is like Miley Cyrus, right? And twerking or whatever, and how, the perception of twerking changed specifically because a white woman was doing it. And so, you know, and it's gross. Like it just, it, it, they love the culture, but not the people, you know, it's like, we can't, we can't stand for that anymore. We can't be silent for that, about that anymore. But it is, you know, it's as an individual though, as a black person, I think you do have to work your way up to speaking out in large part because of that conditioning. You know, like recently I've been using, like Twitter is my favorite medium. Uh, specifically because, you know, I can just type a thought and put it out there, whoever likes it or, you know, does, doesn't approve. But before, I think I would have been worried about, like, taking up too much space, you know, like, uh, making my followers uncomfortable or whatever. But now it's like, listen, man, if this, if this makes you uncomfortable, then I don't really care about your approval anyway. So. <laughs> so how are you and I both doing that? Like, what changed then is, like, my philosophical question <laughs> for me it's uh so kate actually mentioned the self-care thing before and as so i use headspace to meditate one of the central themes that uh headspace gets gets into is being present 
you know, not, and I've like, I specifically have had a problem with daydreaming all my life, you know, thinking about past situations, thinking about uh, made up future situations or whatever, thinking about myself in another light. And so um, for me, I've been less caught up in thinking and just more present. And, you know, it's going to sound like kind of out there, but it gets to a point where it's like, you're, the future is not guaranteed, you know, like life is, life is vulnerable. And especially with the pandemic and the police brutality and so on, it's just like, it can, it can be taken from you in so many different ways. And so for me, it's like, what's the point in being silent? Like I could go out silently or I could go out loudly. And that's how, that's, I think where I'm at. Um, that's why like, you know, I'll go down to the protest. So I'm looking for ways to get involved. And cause for me, it's like, we just have to fight for everything. We have to fight for a fair election. Um, we have to fight for a different society, a reformed society, I think. For me, it's just like, I have no other choice but to fight. Yeah, I mean, to your point, you said, you know, we were present. I think, again, it's one of those perfect storm. I think it had a lot to do with coronavirus. You know, I can't, I, again, I can't say that I would be as present if I was, you know, like literally I wake up at 5.45 every morning riding my bike for an hour, you know, like I literally had a, again, you're in this, you know, world where you have to be present because you're not moving uh, like a zombie, you know what I mean? Um, and so, I, I mean, I think you're right. I think it was being present, you know? I just wanted to share something that comes from this book that is a middle school read called Locked Up for Freedom. It's about civil rights protesters at the Leesburg Arcade. It's about America's Georgia and Black people needed new laws to protect them from discrimination. By the way, this is the 1960s. That is not that long ago. My mom always says that we talk about Holocaust. She's like, that wasn't even 100 years ago. Remember that it was something from a different time. We have to re-remember that that is not even that long ago. The 60s was recent. I just watched The Help, which I realized I shouldn't have. People are like, it's a white savior movie. Like, don't. But it's still, the biggest thing I got out of it was that was right. That was like recent. Like, my dad was alive. I was just like, this is disgusting. And, but it was the part of this book talks about like all the things that they, that black people had to do just to vote and it was illegal. And then even when they legalized it, they, they made all these other laws to like get around letting black people vote. It gives exact numbers. 25,000 people lived in Sumter County, Georgia of these 52%, more than 14,000 people were black. So more than half of this County is black yet only 300 black voters were registered. And what it took to make these changes, what it took to do this was not like, you know, they didn't have free apps back then to help them with their mental health, which is honestly like one of the most important things that any, I think any marginalized persons or groups could do. But what they had was children. And these children started going to protest, putting themselves out in the streets, knowing they were gonna get arrested, like ages 11. But it took the kids, it took young people. And the truth is like, that's who has the energy because somebody like an adult person is like, I'm tired from everyday performing, from everyday doing this. And when you're a teenager, you're so close to your feelings. You're so close to your feelings that if somebody invites you to get on them, you're gonna do it. So if I'm like, what's bothering you today? And I know you're mad, you're gonna speak about it. If you're an adult, you're still gonna have to check them first. Like you're gonna be like, are you sure you wanna hear about it? Do you have time to listen? A teenager is both the best and worst person on the planet for that reason. Like 
they're going to, they're going to shoplift. They're going to do whatever they want. They're going to yell at their mom. They're going to scream. You know, the thing is like, that is the best gift about them too, that they're so close to the edge of who they are. That if you just give them a, a single moment to tell you how they feel, they're going to scream it. And what's going on with, you know, this, I think a lot of it is, it's always going to take kids. And then also it has to take people of power. And, you know, there's a lot of white celebrities that give money to people and there's, but it takes in this situation, the people who have power and then the children. And I think the kids are definitely like in it. They're like, you know, looking, I mean, I have students who were like, I went to the protest. I have students who are asking me what they're allowed to say. I have students asking me what they're supposed to do next. For them to be waking up that this is in their control is immense, you know? And I think it's the second we tell our kids to like be careful we're telling them that it's not as important as it is. So I don't know. I say for the kids, that's this book will tell you the children will save us all. I believe that. I really do believe it. They they're here to save us. You know, they're here to remind us of who we really are deep down when you strip away all the rest of it. You give them a well, moment and they're going to run for it. Yeah. Cause I mean, as a parent, you push the best of you in them, you know, regardless <laughs> of, you know, so I think then, you know, they kind of, mm -hmm. you know, mold and become who they are. Um, but yeah, I mean, to that point, I was talking to one of my friends and we were kind of, she was just like, you know, same kind of sentiment of friends who reach out right now. Like, I didn't know, like, I'm so sorry. We've been friends for 10 years and I just couldn't imagine. And just having that conversation with her on, you know, there's going to be things that I have to train my child on that you will never have to, you know, i.e. how you make sure that your hair, you don't go out with your hair looking crazy, you know, or if you were to get caught up doing something and your friends run, you stay back and you apologize. You put your hands on the steering wheel if you get pulled up. Like these little things that us as black parents teach our children to make sure that at the end of the day so that they get home safe. You know, that's real life to a lot of us. I was, I was just going to say, how do you navigate? Because, I, I mean, I haven't had any... Um, of my white friends come to me and say, I didn't know necessarily, but how are you, how are you navigating that conversation? Because there's something, oof, there's something in like the pit of my stomach too. That's like, y'all really didn't know nothing, like nothing at all. Like, is it not, is it, I didn't know it was that bad or I didn't care to know, which I think is more honest, or is it just, I don't, I don't know, like, how are you navigating those conversations? Because I think what I've, at least a little bit of what I've seen, it's not necessarily like I didn't know, but um, it's more of, I just, like I said, didn't care to know, or I didn't care to do the work. So now tell me what to do. So how, how are you preserving your energy? That's kind of where I'm at right now. How are you maintaining Cause it's a lot, like kind of like you were saying, Kate, like if you give, talking about your students, if you give them an opportunity to voice how they're feeling by having conversations, by, you know, um, actually listening, they're gonna tell you what they want. And I feel like that's what's happening right now. Like we have the floor, so to speak. And so we're screaming from the rooftops, like this is what we want, um, but it's exhausting um, and I'm just trying to figure out how y'all, I know you, Mark, you already said headspace and trying to like, as much as I want to have these conversations and I want to teach, so to speak, or offer a new perspective, I'm like, 
I'm just trying to help us out. Like I'm trying to, get, I'm trying to make sure we're okay, you know, and preserve our energy. So what are y'all doing? I mean, for me, it really ebbs and flows, you know? Um, and there's some days that I'm like game and I'm like, I'm here for the fight, you know? And then there's other days that, yeah, to your point, it is exhausting, you know? Um, and, I, you know, I am being very truthful and taking my part in any blame that there is that I have been silent. The time a person at a restaurant was maybe some semi-racist and I didn't say anything, they didn't say, you know, like honoring that and understanding that, um, but also you know, just taking that time to say what never was said then now, you know? And, you know, regardless of if they want to say, I didn't know, and that's an out or that's a, you know, whatever it may be, I'm not even wasting time on even thinking about that. Cause then that adds another layer of weight that then I need to mentally comb through, you know? And I'd rather just kind of say, okay, if that's where you want to stand, then I'll meet you there. And let me be real with you then. And I'm taking that that time to be real. Now, what they do from that point on is on them. And I've had people who've reached out once, got I replied back or whatever it may be, and then nothing, you know? Um, Kate, you, I knew we were gonna talk, so I wanted to save my, you know, all my words for this moment. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a mixture of both, you know? And you can feel the ones that are authentic, I mean, one of, you know, somebody that I've been friends with for a really short time. So again, one of the people that reached out, 10 years of friendship. I didn't know. I give my explanation. Crickets since then, you know? So it's like, okay, I see where, I see where you at, you know? And then I have ones that just met and literally the, the all she said for me was, Laron, I just want to let you know that every night I go to my father in prayer for you. And I get on my knees and I just make sure that I ask that your sanity is okay. I make I ask that you are being strong and steadful. And I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. And it's like, out of all the words, that was the one that just got me because it was like you just understood and you knew that all I need, all you need right now is prayer. And I got you, you know? And that was very and from someone I've known for less than a year versus someone I've known for 10 years. So just really understanding where those weights are in my friendship and what. Because I think as Black people, again, we're bucket fillers. That is who we are. We will pour into that bucket of each individual. If we love and care about you, if it's our last drop, we'll turn it upside down and hit it like it's ketchup, you know? That's just who we are as a people, you know? And I'm really trying to be mindful. If you are a bucket sucker and you sucking out my bucket, then you can't get close to my bucket, you know? And I'm just, very, <laughs> I'm very, I'm being very honest about who I, what the company that I keep and understanding that it is not okay for me to empty my bucket on you. That's not okay. And just being honest about that and allowing people the space to show who they truly are too, you know? Embracing that just as much as I'm embracing the good and the bad, you know? I love that. I'm gonna adopt that. Don't get close to my bucket. <laughs> I think uh, for me, yeah, I mean, I will say like, I've definitely had my peers, specifically white peers that like, I feel like I can talk to race about. Obviously it's not everybody, um, but to your point, Laron, like I think definitely like, even though with some of our relationship, there's a length of time there, some relationships definitely deserve the re-examination. Like I remember, uh, I forget who said this on Twitter, but basically they were like, you know, if you, 
to white people, like if you've known someone a long time and they've never talked to you, a person, a black person, right? And they've never talked to you about race or anything, like y'all may not be as close as you think, you know? Like, so Kate and I, for example, like we always have conversations like that. And I feel very comfortable, like, you know, bringing this up with this is a part of the reason why we're like, we're fam, you know, and we're close. We've known each other a few years now, you know what I mean? We don't see each other often, but when we do, it's like, I can talk to Kate about this, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so like this right now is easy. I've had one or two like peers reach out, kind of be like, hey, how are you doing in these times? You know, <laughs> and you know, like, you know, that's not really a conversation that's going to go much further. In terms, I think for me personally, the the kind of another culture shock was 2016. Because I was like, Donald Trump is a disgusting person, like, and an idiot. Like, how do people, how can people think of supporting him? But actually, I knew a number of people, a number of people I would have considered peers at the time who did support him and vote for him. So it's like, from then, I think that I was like, mm, y'all are not who maybe I think you are. And so I think that's also built to this time as he, like, you know, has proven to be who we always knew he was going to. Then, you know, kind of going back to these people and being like, so what do you have to say for this? You know what I mean? And so it's, I think that's a big part of it, at least for me anyway. That's so, that's so interesting. Like you said, this uh, space of re-examination, that's scary, you know, to kind of look around you. And I love, <laughs> I love what you said. People are texting you. How are you in these times? <laughs> like, <laughs> If you're my friend, just call it like you see it. Like, let's have a real conversation about it. But um, once again, it's that uncovering. The veil is coming back. You know, it's and and you're starting to see that too with a lot of, I guess, cancel culture or call out culture. You're seeing a lot of stuff being exposed. And but you know what? I I had a conversation uh, with somebody that we know at work just about asking um, when it was like safe to go back to posting like normal things or just regular content. And I'm like, you know, if you weren't posting about these things before, don't all of a sudden jump on this bandwagon. Like it should be reflective of the things that you care about. So if you care about it, yeah, I expect to see it along with you going to get tacos, along with you getting your hair done, but I wanna see it paired together. And if I don't see it, great. I get to actually see who you are and then maybe I can make an informed decision from there if I decide to follow you or continue a friendship or this, that, and the third. So I'm like, yeah, show, sure, come on, bring them all out. I wanna know how you really feel. Like, don't, this is this is definitely not a time for anybody to hide. Everybody's out right now. Um, Just something that you just, it's like talking about cancel culture, you know, some I had somebody sent me like a thing that was like, this band is canceled. And I was like, I 100%, appreciate that you feel that way for me i'm part of redemption culture i'm always trying to be like as awful as it gets like i have to know that there is a chance for redemption but it's about the idea that like if we cancel someone we're not giving them a chance to learn and you know maybe people have been i just know that like in my life and the times and the trials and things i've been through like i'm always screwing up and if we're gonna cancel these people because they're famous and we see this in them like we should cancel me too you know, and I don't want to get canceled. I don't want my friends who have done things wrong get canceled. I don't want, you know, so it's that just like term is so hard for me because I'm like, this is the time where we should be like, not we, all of us here, but like white people have work to do 
And like Lauren's saying, a lot of us literally don't know. Like we do know, but we might not be able to see how like this idea of like this white performance standard in retail, I didn't really understand, even though I saw it happen and there were times where I understood that I could say something and there were times where I didn't even know what I would have said, even though I knew something was off. Um, there was a time one of our coworkers who was a guy bought a dress and he wanted to wear his dress to work. And um, I was like, you know, there were people kind of made fun of him, And I was like, wait, he just wants to fit our aesthetic. I think it's great. And I'm not, there was definitely more times than that I'm sure where I should have said, you know, let them, what are you talking about? But I didn't realize, you know, you don't always know when it's okay, but just coming from that center of like redemption, it's going to take a lot of work before we all know how to give a sincere apology. And like right now people are probably stumbling to just tell you like, I promise I see you. And maybe that's the right thing to say instead of I'm sorry, because I don't yet know what I have to, I don't even yet know where to start. And the starting, you know, to, to get flooded with Instagram stories and to suddenly know how to be woke is not the truth. Like the truth is that it takes years and it takes safe people. And it takes like, if you don't have access, like we're talking about the very beginning, if you don't have access to safe spaces where safe conversations where you can ask a black person about being black or you can't, you know, maybe you don't understand how to use Google. That's on you. I don't know. It's going to take a while for you to figure out that means to, you know, what you need, your resources. So just like, but as we send out these like floods of apologies and like, I'm sorry. And, you know, we owe you that. You don't owe us your time, your energy, a response, a reply. You don't owe us your forgiveness. I think that's for you. That's yours. But as far as like us sending these messages, it's, I think the goal is to say like, I do see you and I promise I'm going to try to figure out how to try. But we don't know what we're doing. Why people have literally, this world is built, has been built for us. And that it's constructed around the standard that, I mean, it's so systemic that I don't even know, you know, like the grocery store is probably developed in favor of white people. And I just don't know that when I'm walking around. And you might not even realize it because you've been so used to being just dismissed your entire lives, you know? So it's just that, that, I mean, I can't imagine how exhausting it is to just constantly be reading how sorry people are. Like they didn't know because we're, but white people we're gross. And I'm not saying that because I think we genuinely have bad intentions. Some of us do have bad intentions and some of us don't want to put in the work to figure out what it's like on the other side. And like working with, you know, it's working with any, any culture who is different than you, like, it's, I think you have to ask questions and I'm not going to Google everything I need to know about black people so I can build a relationship with Bryn. Part of our relationship was that we didn't stray away from, we didn't shy away from those conversations. We talked about things, but not everybody is ready and that's not good enough. That's not a good enough answer. So now it's like white people got to figure out how to get ready. I mean, I'm still, there's still probably conversations around black culture, the black community that I need, that I'm not safe around. Like, I don't know how to have those conversations. And there's a lot of stuff about like police brutality that I'm really confused about. doesn't mean I don't, I'm not, I mean, obviously it's disgusting. I just literally don't understand some of these things. Like that's why those Ben and Jerry's videos have been so helpful because it breaks things down. I was like, wow, this is really useful. Cause it's, it's like these infographics have really helped me be like, okay, I have believed all this was true, but seeing it with this and this and this, helped made it make more sense. There's just a lot of things connected to it. But my main message as like a trash white person is 
you know, we're going to keep sending you apologies because we don't, we don't know necessarily what else to give you yet. And you don't owe us anything for it. And I know that you know that, but just to say it out loud, you got to save your energy for you. Like that's, that's every therapist tells you number one is you got to love yourself. I don't necessarily know that's like the truth, but I think you have to invest in yourself before you can possibly accept and like radiate outward. Like you've got to just you don't owe me a response. I know it's hard for you because say you see a text message, you're going to answer it. Me, I'll go like six weeks before I answer a text message. And it's not because I don't care. It's just like sometimes I just can't. You know, as a black woman, you probably are trained to literally just answer because you've got to keep up and you've got to get the opportunities. And you, and again, like you said, like comparing it's weighted success with being white, even success in friendships, I'm sure, especially with white people. And it's like so unconscious that it's, with uncovering we just got to peel yeah. back i mean i'm just going to chime in there because i mean even amongst my own friends you know i have a group of college group friends mm-hmm. and so there's about five of us and each of us have been i mean i mean one of the girls is it making six figures and a director you know and the other is like working for you know crazy companies and they've all reached these very successful places and i think you know, a lot of time we have girls dinner or girls, whatever. And it's kind of like every, where are you at now? What's going on with work? You know? And then with me, it's always kind of like, Oh, you're still in that, you know, lower tier position. Oh, come on low. Like, and it's like, you don't understand that I'm calling as hard as you are, if not harder, you know? And I don't think that they've ever done it intentionally. It's like, you know, girl, you got to get out of there. You could do better than that. And it's like, well, I know I can, you know what I mean? And it's just like those things, again, it comes back to your your intent is one thing, but your impact is another, you know? And so I've just really taken that time to explain that to them, you know, and just say times that you've pushed, you may not have understood that when you were thinking that you're saying, you know, do better because you deserve better, really you're telling me I'm not enough, you know, is what it felt like. And so just being honest about that and saying, it, it didn't come off that way, you know? I, I, I was just going to say that that also sounds like another microaggression of just like, you can, you got it. Like you can, you can just figure it out. Like it's, it's yes, the intent, like you just said, yes, the intention might be pure or good, but not realizing the full scope of what's going on um, is really harmful. I don't know. I, that, that concerns me because you, you have to, be honest about everybody's experiences too and where they are and why they might be where they are. Or what if you were just happy where you were and that was enough, you know what I mean? How about that too? Like, why is it somehow like, you can do better? Like, no, I'm great. <laughs> I'm great right here, you know? But I guess that goes back to like the, you know, it's just the American dream, I guess, and thinking, you know, you can pull yourself up by the bootstrap. Well, some people don't have boots. <laughs> you know, so yeah. also black people were wearing work boots when they made that up. Like you're not, it's not the same, you know, and saying that too, just knowing Lauren in, in a professional sense and hearing people talk about her so positively all the time when we, when we were at the same environment, she deserved those words, not because for a black girl, like that should never have come after it, but I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did at some point or another. And again, in California, it is definitely different in the South. I would say that it's probably said more about Bryn in a lifetime just because of that that difference and being in the South is like 
there's just there is definitely a cultural difference there's some level of segregation but it's we make it seem like it's by choice and that doesn't make it better like we still have to face each other and have to integrate and like have to not like in a societal sense like in our lives we have to integrate these other people and embrace them you know and not for a black girl for a person and also not forgetting your blackness and not forgetting like you know not acting like it's oh it's the same thing with disabilities like it's not a bad thing it's just the way you are and the way you're created and you have things that you're going to do differently because your hair texture is different. Same thing with someone who has a disability or is like, you know, it doesn't mean that they can't do it. They just have to figure out a different way. So it's just like, is the standard that we all do it the way a you know, able-bodied white person does? Cause that's not, that's where it's problematic. Is it a playing field? We're not even in the same sport. Well, Kate, that's something I, you know, not to be like compliment hour, but that's something I appreciate about you and just, you just you see you really are seeing us for who we are and yes that includes your race you know what i mean like you have to acknowledge the whole conversation i think that's a great place for people to start obviously i know it's not very easy to run out and go get black friends all of a sudden and ask them a bunch of questions because that's very traumatizing and very um, <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard sorry um, i noticed it was 2020 i had to go get some black friends are you available right um, <laughs> you can talk to the person behind you at the register. Like it's, you know, and I think honestly for men, I think it's different because I still don't want any man of any race talking to me in public period, because I'm afraid of all of you. It's not your fault. I'm afraid of all men period, but, but I'm, it's hard to make friends as an adult, but we owe it to one another as human beings to fight to, you know, like Lauren was saying, Black people are not the only people who should be doing the fighting. White people have to fight their insecurities, their differences, like get mixed up in some, you know, some different people. And like something with like reading, like just consume yep. other stuff and it will lead you to, I mean, if you consume black media, you will have more to talk about with black people a lot of the time because the perspective is different. Oh, so you think that's how I made, that's so much a part of it is I watched Freedom Riders, which again, I know white savior, not a good plan. But in that, I bought that soundtrack. I listened to Tupac and it changed my life. Like I'm not exaggerating when I said that because I went to Cookie Co where I worked when I was in high school and I was like able to connect over these lyrics. And I, you know, I literally just like wrapped all of changes minus blurting out some words. And it was like, suddenly I had two new black friends and I was like, okay, it's not always gonna be that easy because we're not in high school. But that bridge of knowing like, I, I really wanted to understand the words. I wanted to understand what the message was. I wanted to understand the point. And it made it something for me to under, you know, connect. and that was such an easy, cheap way to do it. Tupac is the easiest, cheapest way to make that connection. Cause it's a, it's a real experience and it's also deep. And there was something about it where they were like, are you kidding? How'd you know this? And I was like, I literally bought a CD. It was not that hard of work. And I'm 15 years old, so remembering lyrics is easy. That opened a pathway of like, oh, Tupac's not the only rapper on earth who has feelings. Because I don't want to necessarily listen to like gang violence music, but that's not what rap is. Like there's so much that is rich and beautiful. And then that leads you to gospel or it leads you wherever you end up going. Like, but it's like consuming black media, consuming black literature, consuming indigenous literature. It's going to lead you to finding you know, then you go to say a poetry reading, you go to a, a music event or you go to a college that has more black people than white people. And you're like, 
inevitably going to make black friends like unless you literally stay I guess in your dorm forever but hey I just want to see you like just give us a verse real quick I can't do it more because <laughs> I'm too much of a chicken I just literally I can't do it. I'm too much of a like a weenie town but it's too I do embarrassing birthday. stuff to my kids all the time it's my students so they'll they probably attest to it I hope none of them ever listen to this though so <laughs> One of my students did find the podcast and she was like, I listened to all of them. I was like, oh my God. She's 18, so it's fine. Shout out to Riley. Nice. Um, one point I was going to make in terms of like, you know, kind of piggyback of what you just said, Kate. Um, I guess like being a white person and consuming black media and so on. You got to remember like all of us and by us being black people, like we are learning. You know what I mean? Like, we're not experts about our own struggle necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, the things I've learned in the last 10 years about, like, redlining, perfect example. That's not taught in high school at all, but that still affects us to this day. You know what I mean? I don't know if uh, I remember learning about the great or about the New Deal. I don't remember if I they specifically taught that black families were left out of it. But that's kind of a big deal, though. <laughs> you know, like, that's. And then, you know, there's all the, the little things as well. And then, like, beyond the educational side of it, like, the media, you know what I mean? Like, we all we all love Black culture. We all consume Black culture. We all have our favorite Black shows and artists and so on for different reasons, you know what I mean? And it's a wide variety. It's not like it's one thing. And so I think, you know, as a non-Black person, that's definitely, I think that is a good way to connect with Black people and not necessarily depending on your peers to educate you, but, like, getting there with them. And then, yeah, you can have those conversations and change, you know, exchange per perspectives and so on. But your, your perspective, I think, becomes a little more useful when you open yourself up to like black education, black media, et cetera, black, black perspective in general. I'm so glad you said that to kind of add to that. And also like, once again, not just running out to do it just to ch check off a box, so to speak. I was listening to a food uh, podcast, believe it or not. And um, a lot of just influencers and bloggers on Instagram are like, I have all these followers now. That's awesome. Great. Welcome. But also a lot of people wanting to do partnerships with them or people wanting to have them on their podcast. And they're like, a, you've done no research on who I am. You're just following me just to say, yeah, I, I, I followed a black blogger today and that was a good thing. Well, are you, are you even vegan? Cause that's what their whole page is about. <laughs> or like, do you know that they are really about body positivity and you're on two opposite ends of the spectrum? Like still follow your interests, but realize that we're in all spaces. You know, if you're really interested in, I don't know, uh, NASA and um, astronomy, maybe hidden figures might speak to you a little bit. I don't know, like we're everywhere. So it's not like you just, it's just go, okay, I did the black thing, you know? <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it yeah, does for me. It's, um, it's like funny because it's sad. You guys, I mean, I just wanna know like what your experience was um, the day after George Floyd died. Like, how was it going back to work that next day? Like, what did you, because I have my own experience, but I'm just interested to know your guys's. I kind of had that immediate reaction of, I know this is gonna be really probably uh, harmful to my mental health, but I knew eventually you were gonna have to engage with it. 
and there at least that's what it felt like um and so for probably a couple days um i wasn't really interacting on social media i wasn't really um looking at the news that much and then i was like you you're gonna have to be involved or you're gonna have to engage with it it's everywhere around you and um honestly a lot a lot of grief it's weird and it's you know what it's not weird because it's deeply personal <laughs> you know it's it's kind of around us all the time but it's not only something um just sad but i think just the image and the video being circulated is very difficult having people want to have discussions with you about it is difficult going back again to that uncovering it feels very exposed like everything about it feels like i'm i'm on the table for everyone to have this discussion with me and talk about really vulnerable things so uncomfortable and um grief is like when you said grief that is like perfect that's the best way to put it it is hard so for me it's a it's a little different um i'm an uber east driver so like you know i just i don't interact outside from picking up from restaurants and delivering to people i don't really interact with people too much um and you know i work my own schedule so i go to work when i want to basically the, what i can remember was the first weekend of protests and like friday night you know i was out and about i didn't see anything personally but when, when i got home i was like consuming all the news and like that whole weekend, like I didn't leave the house. Like I was just like consuming social media, um, all the protests, you know, all the reaction by the police to the protesters. Um, and so I'm just watching all this kicking off. It was just a swirl. And I was just like, cause social media was consuming me really and truly. I do think in that, in those, I guess you could say 48, 72 hours, um, my mentality changed a bit. Like, cause that Tuesday was the first time I went out to a protest. And so, yeah, I just started thinking like, you know, just like reacting to it in real time, basically. It's just like, this feels different. This might be a thing, you know, and consuming it day by day. But what I did think about a lot though, was uh, like previous jobs, especially when I worked in Swanee, you know, when I was surrounded by more Trump supporters, you know, like I was trying to imagine like what that space would be like now. And I literally couldn't, cause it was, it was very microaggressive then, you know what I mean? So I couldn't even imagine now. I really, I honestly couldn't. And I think like part, you know, I talked about a little bit about my time here in Atlanta and I feel like I have like where I'm at now is because of uh, things that I've, I've experienced and some things that I didn't like, you know? And so it's like, okay, well, I'm not, you know, like I, I have, I think maybe because I moved around a bit, I have no problem being like, okay, this, this space doesn't work for me anymore. I'm, I'm out of here, you know? So uh, I'm very much like right now, I think I'm very much uh, moving to my own beat, trying to figure out my next thing. But uh, it is kind of useful <laughs> during this moment of, uh, of activism, being able to go out in the street, but then also like figuring out what my purpose is. Like it's being, it's, it's constantly being shaped. It's something I think about every day. And, you know, the movement is only, I think, adding to that. So, yeah, I mean, you guys, I mean, both of you, you know, I think for me, there was a sadness, but it was almost untapped. And I'll, because right now, again, we're in a space where we're talking digitally, you know, and um, I'm not going to say specifically where I work, but the company that I work for, um, you know, within the last couple of years, I started on the lower tier of the business. And mind you, I took a 
complete shift from retail into e-commerce world. Um, so I took about a $20,000 pay cut um, when I shifted because I understood back then everything is going to shift to the web. I just could really see it in my head. So I was like, you know what? The smart move, it's fine. I'll start at the bottom tier. I'll work my way up. It's totally fine. I'm still not making, and I've now been with the company for almost two to three years, and I'm still not making what I made when I took that shift cut. Um, but on the opposite end of that, I am running the number one business. We're, we all kind of have our own segments of the business, and I'm running the business that drives 70% of the business's comps, but I'm the lowest tier of manager. I think, again, this is the sitting in the back of the bus piece. Like, how did I allow that to be the case for three years? And to your your point, Mark, where you said you're good about being in a space and being like, ah, nah, this don't work for me. I'm the total opposite. And I will sit and not necessarily be complacent, but be a good girl, if you will, you know, and it's just a part of my personality. And again, something changed in me. And, you know, that, that following day I messaged, you know, um, I got put on a project and was really frustrated because, um, someone reached out to me and they're like, what did you think about that meeting? And da, 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 da. And she just starts going, 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 going for like 90 seconds. And I'm not going to lie. I was like checking my calendar, like, oh shit, what meeting did I miss? You know? And so I looked on my calendar and I wasn't included in the meeting. So I said, hey, hold up. What meeting are you talking about? And she's like, let me go. Let me go look. And she goes, oh, my gosh, you weren't on the meeting. Oh, they left everybody that is this tier and under off this meeting. And then she goes, but your business is the number one business. So it was all about your business. And I was like, well, what was the meeting about? And they're like, oh, it's about our plan for 2021 and all this stuff about your business. And it's like, how did I get left off that meeting? You know? And so it was just really frustrating. And so I think in that moment, it all came flooding. And I was up for a promotion last year. And I have been with the company at that point for two years. And um, somebody, Amel, had came into the company, was with the company for six months. Um, and got that promotion over me. And it was one of those moments. It's the moment that you see where, you know, and we're going to give that. And at that, the day before, prior to, none of us knew who was getting the promotion. We're all in one room and they're like, we're going to give that promotion to so-and-so. And that moment of needing to, you know, applaud, keep a face that didn't show any emotion and then just get back to work. And I didn't only get back to work for that day, but I got back to work for a whole nother year and a half. Like, how did I allow that to happen is what I continue to ask myself, you know? And so I think in that moment, I was just messaging people and I was just like, it's not fair. Like this, they always, I'm left off of meetings because of my title. I'm, you know, I'm not getting promoted. People get promoted after me. And all of that came out that Tuesday and Wednesday. And it wasn't until Friday that I began to really like self-reflect and think about it that I said, holy crap, what if when I seen George Floyd under that man's knee and he was saying, I can't breathe, I understood moments that I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I didn't realize that it was affecting me. I really didn't realize that it was subconsciously what made me and all of my you know workers were like that's that's bull you should say something and i was like i'm just sad right now 
That's all the, the only thing that I can explain is that I feel sadness, you know, and, in, and I can't get my words together. And until I have the courage to say what I need to say, I'm just going to allow myself to deal with this sadness, you know, and um, the following week, I got my 33rd coronavirus email from my job and it set me off. I was livid, like to say the least. And so we had a town hall meeting coming up in the next two weeks. And I sent a message and I said, it's very disheartening that I just received my 33rd email about coronavirus and I've received nothing about the social injustice going on to the black community. And they're both viruses nonetheless. And just like when coronavirus came and we said, oh, we're sanitizing now, we're cleaning stores now. You should have been doing that from the beginning. And so you can't say, oh, we're gonna give black people a chance or we're gonna do this. You should have been doing that from the beginning. Like when you compare the two things, they're equally weighted. Racism spreads like a virus, they're equally weighted. And so I was just appalled that nothing was said. And I stood up and, that was about a week ago now, and my company has just launched um, a diversity and inclusion board, which I am the head of. And um, the town hall, the town hall meeting that I actually sent a question in for, they pushed it back a week in order to make space for me to talk. And so I had the opportunity to speak in our town hall to a thousand and four hundred people in the UK, in Mexico. I timed myself because I was given a certain amount of time that I was able to speak. And so I timed myself while I was practicing, not thinking anything of it. And then I timed myself the day of just to make sure that I didn't, you know, lie about the timing that I, you know, whatever. So then after the town hall was done and, you know, I was, Ooh, I feel so much better. Ooh, you know, like not nervous anymore. And I looked at my phone at the stopwatch and it was eight minutes and 46 seconds. That hit me because it was like that room, that space, that all of that, you know, like he lost his eight minutes, but I got my eight minutes and it just is so surreal and full circle. And that's why I'm in a space that I'm just really, truly embracing it all. And, you know, I don't think any of you guys follow me on social media, but um, about in 2020, I started doing these I don't even know why I did it. If anybody interviews me in the future and they're like, oh, why did you start doing these? You know, I started doing these things called thankful Thursdays. And really it was because I was thankful that it was going to be Friday, you know? Um, but I really, you know, took the time to whatever was put on my spirit. How do I, you know, narrow that down in a way to get what I need to say across and, you know, make sure that it's, you know, people receive it. And so I did that all of 2020. I'm just so grateful that I listened to the spirit, you know, I'm religious. So the spirit of God that for some reason I started doing that and I did it every Thursday religiously for like five months straight. And I don't know why. And, you know, in hindsight, it was training so that when this moment came, I was ready. You know, I was ready to, what do you want to say? And how are you going to say it? And how are you going to package it that people can take it in. And it's just, I'm just so grateful that I'm, I am connected to God and I'm just so grateful for the space that I was given and just so grateful for the signs that he's given me to say, you know, those little, you know, moments of that's what this was for. And uh, to your point, Mark, you said something about your, you know, understanding your purpose. And 
I feel like I'm finally walking in that and understanding that. And it, it's crazy because I have been blessed with amazing friends who are always like, Lo, you're great. And I always didn't believe them, you know? And so I just, I don't know. It's just surreal, you know? And um, I, I think, again, that's why I'm just really being understanding in this space because I'm not mad, <laughs> you know, it comes down to me not being mad and just, and I cried a little bit, but we're not going to tell anybody. <laughs> First of all, just amazing, amazing what you're doing, amazing what you've been doing. It's hard. It's really hard to show up and you're doing it. And I know you were saying like in the beginning, you know, I was really comfortable, like, you know, being in the back of the bus or like really comfortable being a good girl. I mean, you're, you're breaking that. That's crazy. That's that's not something to uh, ignore. That's uh, I, like I live for stories like this, and um, that's tough. It's tough. That's that's really it. I, I'm proud of you. I'm feeling so connected to you. I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Just proud of you. Just to like on that good girl comment, it was so therapisty moment though, where I was like, I know that you use that like that's what keeps you in line. But the thing is, no matter what you do or what you do not do in your life, you will always be a good girl. Like you're always going to be good. You're always going to be worthy. You're always going to be good enough. Like you don't need anything to qualify that. But I understand that need for the approval for somebody else to say it. But like you're getting that affirmation right now in big ways of like, you are good. Even if you do nothing, even if nothing else happened after that, like, you are good. Your heart is good. That's what a good girl is, you know? And the behavior part of it is like, sometimes a good girl's got to break the rules to change the rules so that the rules are better because the rules aren't good right now. That's all the stuff about segregation and laws. Like the laws weren't right. You know, there's all those memes that are like, you know, hiding Jews was illegal. And Frank, would have been, you know, those people, the people who set the slaves free. It's like, but that's the truth is like a really good girl chain breaks, the, breaks the rules when she's ready, when she's big enough, when she's got her step ladder, she needs it, like step up and you're stepping up, you know, and it's in your in in perfect time. And um, I love that just going with the video that you made that Ray helped you with the rise up. That's what you really need. You're rising up. You're like, well, really, I love that video. Yeah, they it. actually showed the video on this meeting. Yep, it's, actually, it's beautiful. I'll repost actually, it on, or I'll tag. I don't know how to do that because I changed the Instagram to private. But yeah. I'll share it on my regular one again. Yeah, no, they um actually ended up sharing the video during this town hall, and again, it was just one of those surreal moments that you just you one of the you know you're like oh that was this is what this was all for you know and again like I'm always fine. I'm fine sitting in the back seat. I'm just content with that, you know? And I think I've always had a front seat personality, you know, but I've always been content not, you know? And it, I'm, again, I feel like I'm, it's that space, having that space to fully be me. I've been in a pot. I've, I've been in the, I've, it's, I feel like someone, like I'm a plant and someone has been like, you know what? She's looking a little wilted. These leaves are looking a little dry, you know? And I've been, someone has basically potted me in a new plant, a new, you know, home and I have this space and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm waiting for that flourishing moment. I, I, I feel that it's going to happen. It's not quite yet. Um, but just 
adopting and accepting all of that right now, you know? Yeah. I think too, Laurent, what this could be is, um, I, I wonder too, just connecting what you said about George Floyd and looking at the timer and things just like really blowing up for you. I wonder too, in this time, people in our community are finding healing in different ways. And for you, that could look like, you know what? I'm done. This is what it looks like for me to heal a part of myself somehow by speaking up in this space. You know, for others, it may look like, no, I am in the streets and I I need to be literally with my people right now. For someone else, it might be like, no, I just need to take a nap every day because I'm ragged. I'm ragged trying to keep up. I'm ragged trying to overperform. And, you know, I made a small post about this on Instagram, but I, I think that's what we're it's it's something so interesting about his death that is making us i don't know want to like live harder or like i don't i don't know like fight harder or like be our more authentic selves to take up more space some something i don't know you you want like metaphorically you want to breathe for him or something like that it's ugh, it's it's something but i think we're trying to find what that healing looks like for us right now that's at least that's what I feel like I'm doing here in America. There's the experience of like normal and being othered. Right. And so like as black people, obviously we know what the othered feeling is like. I think as a result, you're like hyper aware of your blackness. Right. Um, and so you think about ways to whether you're representing it or managing it or what have you, you're just aware of it. Um, and it almost like, even though it is us, like it almost doesn't feel natural or at least like in certain settings, um, but one thing I think about is, so there's this one uh, daily meditation that was, I think was titled like you in nature. And basically like the whole, the point of his, of his uh, little two minutes was that we are nature. You know what I mean? Like if you think of yourself as part of nature or as like you and nature or like a representative of nature, like you kind of lose, you know, the connectivity, you know what I mean? And so like that really resonated in terms of like me and being black and blackness, you know, it's like, we are black, like ourselves in our daily lives, no matter what we do, no matter how we go about it, we are black, you know, like we don't represent black people. And if somebody wants to judge black people based on our individual behavior, they're racist, you know, like that's, that's their problem, not ours. Um, we don't have to put on for black people. You know what I mean? Like we can rest. We're allowed that, you know what I mean? We can't, we can't be there if we don't take care of ourselves. Sometimes I think there's just that pressure to like to be black, but like you're we're we're black. Like we are we are the black community. We are black people. You know what I mean? Like no matter what we do, and so like we should just like embrace that, and not feel like put extra pressure on ourselves, even though it's very tempting. No, I I definitely hear that and receive that because um, I think that was for me. Um, because I think again, you know, like you said, I mean, like I've been saying, you know, back of the West and you talk white and I, you know, waited that, you know, all of these things all at once, I'm kind of understanding and taking in, but at the end of the day, all of that is black. <laughs> it's my black, you know what I mean? Um, and I recently was, uh, someone was talking to it's Ash, Ash Beckham. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about her. Um, but she does like a Ted talk and it was. She was saying something like life, and I, I don't want to get it wrong, but she was just saying um, life isn't meant to be lived in a closet. 
And she was obviously comparing um, and telling a story about her coming out. Um, but, you know, I, I think that really resonated with me for any, whether, it be, again, whether it be you're black, you're gay, whatever it may be, life shouldn't be lived in a closet. And that really resonated with me. And then another thing that she talked about in there is why do we compare cards? Like, you're hard. I can't like, no, but I, why do we do that? Why not, not just black people, but people in general, like your heart is your heart. My heart is my heart, you know? And I, that came to me thinking about healing, you know, your healing is my healing and your healing is your healing. And my healing is my healing, you know, and don't compare healing, you know, and I, maybe that's another piece as, as we move forward, it needs to be looked at and examined because I think, as black people, we're going to need to heal. But I think white people will need to heal too, you know, um, and just kind of like making sure that we're leaving the space for everybody to heal, just like we're leaving the space to understand that everybody has their heart, you know, I, something about there's something there, you know, for me with that. That, Lauren, that reminds me a lot, honestly, of being in a mental hospital, because it's exactly like that. Like, it's weird because it's a place where out of all the places that you would expect people to be comparing that their situation is like worse. I remember when I went there and I was so, I was so intimidated by like that my issues weren't that bad. And like, I remember being like, because I hadn't faced a lot of my issues. And I remember I was like ashamed. I was like, how did I get here? This is, a, I don't deserve to be in this space. Like they're gonna feed me for this doesn't make any sense. And the truth is like you get in these circles and everyone's just kind of like, it's just that safe space of catching and that's what heals you and lets you actually get in touch with what your heart really looks like. And there was nobody being like, oh, I tried to kill myself 17 times. Like people did talk about it, but it was never comparison. It was like, yeah, this is this time, you know, this happened. It never felt like a, like a story or a brag. It was just like, this is kind of what's going on. And it led me to like remember things that were a part of my heart and like a part of my sorrow and a part of how I got there. And it was, it's, you know, like when you're given that space to really engage with your own heart and you give yourself the freedom to feel like my heart is my heart, theirs is theirs. You're giving somebody else permission to really engage with it. And you're giving yourself that permission too. And that's really, it all comes down like you said, like access and that space and value, like all these, you know, buzzy sort of, feeling words but they're they're for a reason you know it's like it matters we're making space for that you know just because most of you know I'm not black I have no experience being black obviously most of the things that I understand about being black really just come from me understanding and doing all this research about trauma and understanding that there's you know I have my own trauma personally but the thing is if you are black you undeniably have it there's, you just don't, you don't even get to decide. It's literally already a part of your DNA and just generational. So, you know, you, you get it. And then what are you supposed to do with it? And like, it doesn't make me feel better to be like, you know, to, to minimize my own hard, but it does make me feel better to say to you, like, this is what's going on with me. You can give me some of yours too, and we can carry it together, you know, but I love, I like that sort of, phrasing of like you know it doesn't make sense to compare the hearts but it does make sense to share them to like put it out that's that's why like AA is so successful you know these people don't even have a leader they don't even have real they have like 12 they have 12 steps and some rules and everybody just shows up and gives like a dollar and then they just keep on showing up like but they show up and they do the work and when somebody fails it's not like the end of the world it's like 
okay, let's try again. Maybe that didn't work. We need a new strategy. We need a new plan. And so I think it's just like, but you have to accept it. You can't be like, it's fine to be black in America. You can't say like, I have a pretty good life here in America as a black person. It doesn't matter how good your life is. You still have, you still have stuff that you carried, you know? Um, can I ask a final question? Cause I feel like we're coming. I don't know. It's been a while. I would talk, to, I would listen to you guys talk all day forever. I love it. Um, but something that I asked Bryn in her episode and I've asked a few, I used to ask this in interviews a lot, actually. Um, when I interviewed people, I would say like, what, you know, what would you think, like, what would little, like little you think of you as an adult, but maybe what would you as an adult tell little you about your future? And specifically, I think speaking to being a black person in America, like, would you tell them that there's hope? Would you tell, and I'm thinking like age 11, not like four, but like, what would you, what are you offering as an adult human being to your little, like middle school self? I think I asked Brent some kind of version of that question. I was like, I was, I, I think it ended up like a pep talk, talk to you, but that answer might be different too. It was like a year ago. So. <laughs> I, I love that question, actually. Um, I think that's a question we should probably all ask ourselves a lot because it'll probably push us to our values and mission a lot more. I think just from wrapping, just wrapping up this conversation, the theme that I guess I keep hearing is um, to just show up authentically more honestly and to just take up more space as you are. And it's really scary. It's really hard, but it's important. And it's important. Like if I'm literally talking to myself at like 11 or 13, like start now, like get real comfortable showing up as you are and keep doing it over and over and over. And it's super uncomfortable and it's hard, but um, it's necessary. And I was listening to a podcast. I forget, oh, I forget who it was. It was Amanda Seals and someone. And um, she was just saying, you know, so often we forget, not only do we have ancestors, but we are someone's ancestors. So it's so important for us to do that work now. And I was like, whoa, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I gotta, I gotta get to work. So that is uh, the beginning point for me, continuing and showing up. Um, don't dim yourself at all. Yeah, something I've been uh, thinking about recently in middle school, I forget why, but uh, the teacher like made everybody write down what they thought the perfect age was, the, the age that they would wanna be, right? Or what they thought the ideal age was. I remember putting down 30 because I guess my reasoning at the time was like, by then you're like as wise as you need to be, you know, you've, you've uh, finished school, like everything would be lined up. Um, and so I'm 30 now. And like, obviously I know that's not the case. So if I were talking to my middle school self, I would say like one, you know, 30 is not a finished, you're not a finished product at 30. Like you still have a lot to learn, um, a lot to experience and all that. And um, I would, I guess, tell them, you know, you don't have all the answers. You're going to be figuring it out. So just, you know, try to, Try to take the lessons, especially from the tough times, just because there will be tough times. Uh, yeah, I'd probably warn them. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think that's uh, that's, you know, just just be open minded to being wrong and uh, to to learning and to changing because just change is essential to growth. I think for me, I would tell little low um, that you are a triangle with edge 
and I can't think of two other things to be all three sides of those triangles, but you are a triangle and you do not fit in that circle. I think, you know, I, growing up, I really tried to fit in and I'm, I was the only child. So I think that had a lot to do with it, but that's what I would tell myself. You are a triangle, you know, like in a triangle is a beautiful shape, <laughs> you know? So I think I would tell myself that. Um, and I would also tell myself to take more risk. Um, I've realized now that I'm older, the times that I've taken risk, you know, with no, no, I'm no apologies behind them. Um, they've always worked out in my favor. And even when you take risks, like even if you fail, you still leave with a lesson. If you don't take that risk, when you fail, you have nothing after I feel like, you know, so I would tell myself those two things. I just have nothing but love. This is such a, I'm, I feel deeply touched that y'all took time to spend with us. I just feel deeply touched and honored that you would share, you know, lift up your, let, let me be like a, a medium to, for you to lift your voices up. And um, I always welcome these conversations. I would hope that you all know that. And if you just want to get on here and ramble for three hours and put, and just, the only thing I know how to do is put it on the internet. Um, but I just wanted to make that space and say that it's it's always something I hope to be invested in. And it's always something I'm committed to working to. It's like letting, you know, letting me step aside and lifting up Black people where I have an opportunity to do so. But I know there's going to be times I'm going to keep falling short. I'm going to keep saying the wrong thing. And I'm going to keep hoping that I remember these conversations and look back on them for guidance and, you know, what white people need you because we don't know what we're doing without you know we just you know and i just encourage you if you're listening in the future from now you can have hard conversations with black people it is not their emotional responsibility to answer all of your questions it is not their responsibility to guide you but the thing is when you listen to another person in their heart and you have tough conversations they will guide you that's just it's a result but it's not the goal if you are listening also in the future and you want to talk to any of these people about just anything um you can do it here or you can just talk to them because there are people out in the world everywhere uh but i don't know i just want to say i, I love y'all so much i just feel deeply honored that you would take this time and space and learn our our foreign correspondent from california and then Mark, our close correspondent, and Bryn, just one of the loves of my life, you know? I mean, yeah, this so is a great group. It. I feel like we're a good mix. Um, so to all the listeners out there, um, I mean, hey, you know, this is a movement that's for the long haul, if you ask mm -hmm. me. Um, so I would love to do a check back in, you know, and, you know, like I could be like a rebel, like be like, I was all about peace. And now like we're black yeah. lives, you know? You never know. So it'll be interesting to see like what happens from here, you know? Um, and then it, it's again to all the listeners, if you have questions, like drop them down low or wherever I am. <laughs> Who knows? Um, and maybe when we circle back, we can answer some of them and talk about how things have changed. Cause um, again, it, it was a good mix of personalities and we all gave different perspectives and I'm walking away with a quote and some self-growth because I am understanding that my Blackness is my Blackness. Yes. Yes. And just really walking and accepting that and not thinking that my Black is any less than your Black is any less than your Black is any less than your little, hey, girl, you listen to Tupac, you got a percent in there somewhere. <laughs> too. Awesome. Change my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's the heart stuff that is what connects us, which is the truth about anybody, you know, and it's 
that that is what I looked for when I went, you know, listening for Tupac. It was the I heard all the street stuff and I like the tough stuff too. It's not like every rap he has is about changing society or his heart or his mama, you know, that comes out. Um, and that's the stuff I gravitate towards because I need to know that I like love to be with with the people that are hurting and I love to be in in that hurt or in that joy with them or um so that's I don't know that's where we connect and but you know just because people look different act different seem different like that part of us is in everyone um, but it's a lot of that taking off the shell like Lo said and then also you know remembering just open up and take some of the walls down and you can put them back up you can also close doors you know and if somebody doesn't deserve your energy you don't have to give it to them but just I don't know just remember you can if you want to take off your shell come all turtle house instead okay this is great though i'm glad uh yeah i agree this is a great group um i'm definitely willing to do this again especially i think you know every day there'll be a new normal pretty much you know so mm -hmm. um i'm definitely down to check back in and see how you all are doing yeah. keep us accountable too make sure we keep doing the work you know yeah yeah, yeah i love it I would love for conversations to be more like this, you know, so if anybody else wants to talk to any of us, just <laughs> come on through. Okay, that was equal cheerfulness. Oh, I'm Kate, by the way. I don't actually think I introduced the film in the very beginning, um, but who cares? All right. <laughs> I love you all very much. Um